Hello and welcome to Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've just come back from The Electric where we've seen Marriage Story, which is a Netflix produced film uh, directed by Noah Baumbach, but it's again one of these limited releases that they like to do. And, oh, it felt long to me, but maybe that's a function of how tired I am having woken up so early. I liked it though an awful lot, and I think it's really brilliantly written and performed piece yes. of work. It didn't feel long to me. It, I think it's the first Noah Baumbach film I've seen. Um, I've seen things that he's written before, uh, but not one of not one of his directed. Actually, no, I saw um, Francis. How you must have seen? No, no, no. I saw no. De Palma the documentary, but that. Okay, Park I counts. haven't seen that actually. I like oh, it's very it. good. Yeah, they just let De Palma talk about himself. Anyway, but this, uh, as far as kind of narrative drama goes, uh, this is the first one I've seen of his that he directed. All right, you, but uh, you've seen Francis. No, you said no, you haven't seen, no, that. I haven't seen that. You haven't I, seen the Squid and the Whale. No, I never saw that. Okay. Um, I, I saw, like most people did, the first sort of 20 minutes of the Meyerowitz stories. Yes. And then turned it off because I thought, God, this is interminable. <laughs> yes. I, I couldn't get on with it either. But but I do feel like maybe should should give it more attention. Um, yes, I love this, actually. I, yeah. I, it moved me so much. So, basically, the story is about a couple who really love each other, who have a, a child that they both love, and uh, it begins with their divorce, really. Yeah, it's called Marriage Story, but really it's Divorce Story. It's Divorce Story. Um, and the film does something, I think, really kind of quite marvellous, because it always keeps all the complexities in play. You know, so they're fond of each other, they actually love each other, there's a lot of love there, but, you know, they do want separate lives. Uh, and you can see why she hires a high-priced divorce lawyer who is Laura Dern, who I think is fantastic in this. Uh, actually, everybody's fantastic. You know, uh, uh, when Wallace Shawn appeared, both you and I went, ah, oh, like it was just so it's nice a, It's a reassuring face. Yeah. And he just does a little comic turn. And he's lovely. Uh, and actually, I love seeing Julie Haggerty, who plays the mom again. Yeah. I mean, you know? it feels like, I feel like I haven't seen her in anything apart from Airplane. And yeah, she's so memorable in Airplane. Yeah, she brings exactly. that kind of energy to this. Yeah, she's a real kind of '80s figure, really, and, and it was lovely to see her uh, uh, in that. Um, it's just so so beautifully observed, and you know, kind of there's a climax. So Scarlett Johansson hires a lawyer, which you know they've agreed really to keep things simple. He doesn't want anything, right? But they begin to kind of play hardball, and one situation leads to another, which everything gets worse and worse and gets exacerbated and, you know, they're spending, like, tons of money on lawyers and really, it's... The key thing is because he wants his son to know that he's fought for him. I, You know, she's moving to a new life in L.A. and his whole life is in New York and really, kind of, it's almost like the ending is inevitable, like, he's going to lose, right? Um, so, the whole film is about two good people who have a lot of love for each other and a lot of love for their child, living through, you know, a, a terrible moment uh, for both of them. Though I think it's his story. It's primarily his story, I agree. Um, um, and I think it's it seems to be based um, fairly heavily on Noah Baumbach's own experiences getting divorced from Jennifer Jason Leigh. Ah, uh, right. Um, I didn't know... Uh, I only just kind of looked up Noah Baumbach. That's how I kind of piece that together. But... Uh, at one point, when the lawyers first get involved, um, 
and the characters kind of to an extent I think the film is about how how divorce makes people worse like they, they well, worst, the worst parts of these people start to become very much very exacerbated and, and the love that you've seen between them at the start can I just interject for a moment because the film actually says that you know he says you know lawyers see criminals at their best and you know, divorce lawyers see good people at their worst, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, rather, rather uh, just, uh, quite combative lawyer. Um, so yeah, like, you, you see these people kind of start to get worse. And at one point, I thought, not even knowing that this was by Noah Bornback, in fact, I didn't know that until it came up at the end in the credits. Um, I thought this is this is this reads or this feels like a guy from New York who is telling me how much he hates LA. And then it kind of, and then it, I think I think it kind of is because yeah. he is from New York now, born back. It turns out, and there is a feeling of that, like there is a feeling of cynicism about LA and Hollywood. You've got the um, Scarlett Johansson character; she's an actress, but she comes from a family of actresses as well. Uh-huh. They talk about her sister having auditions. Her mum has money from a TV career that she had, and there is a sense of of that sort of side of the family because she's from LA as well kind of knowing how to play the game a little bit because yeah. as you say this is primarily Adam Driver's story and he gets kind of blindsided by um, his wife's oh, I can't think of the word but she she goes for lawyers and once she's consulted with them even though she doesn't use them he can no longer use them Yeah. so even though from the side that you've seen it she's been told to go to this lawyer Laura Dern and then she hires her you know, from from our perspective, that kind of looks like that's the first lawyer that she's met, and she's just gone with it. And then you get this thing about her consulting with eleven lawyers. You know, yeah. now maybe that's something that Laura Dern told her to do yes. before she hired her. But it feels. But there's there's a kind of there's there's a side of like LA knows how to play this game, and yes. he doesn't. That's right. And and the whole film is about. But but I think there's a deeper purpose than that because basically, she starts off by not wanting a lawyer. Then her workmate suggests, "Oh no, you really need a lawyer." Right, and then she's recommended this lawyer, yeah. and then things come out that actually make her seem like not a nice person. I like this thing about she's consulted eleven lawyers so that basically he can't use any of them, right? So that's kind of playing hardball, where he still thinks they're doing something amicable, and she's already playing a different game than he is. Yeah, yeah, and so kind of you know, and and you get the feeling that that she doesn't mean to, that she's just protecting herself, that she doesn't really bear him any ill will, you know, kind of. But that's the way that it unfolds. And then as it unfolds, other other feelings come out. You know, she reads his email, she yeah, mm-hmm. and finds out that he's had an affair. And so kind of, you know, yeah, it, yeah. it develops into even worse and worse, right? But it all feels really organic, the way yes. everything develops. And nothing is kind of done for effect or as like a plot point. Everything feels like it makes sense in these people's lives and kind of messy. And for a while, I think early on in the divorce proceedings, I think it's possible uh, to see um, Nicole as the villain. Um, But I think also you really get the feeling that this is advice that she's taking that does this. And I think the same is true of him a little bit later on as well. Like these are people who, as you say, they they want to do this amicably. And they want to protect their kid as well. And it's the advice that they are given and take from lawyers that encourages them to start behaving in certain ways. They do, Like all this stuff about setting legal precedents where you have to get a flat here because that means that you have a legal precedent. All this kind of stuff. Like once the lawyers get involved, it's about, no, you have to do this because 
it doesn't matter what's moral or ethical anymore. It's about winning the legal case. Yeah. Except also that it starts, it starts from a position where he just can't win. Because even though she is a good person and she does have love for him, whatever, what she can't do is have half custody. Right? So, and that's what he wants. That's what he won't negotiate. So, kind of, yeah. you know, it, it is also, aside, lawyers aside, it is also their desire and will that kind of puts them in an untenable situation. And actually, where they end up with is maybe where they should have agreed. So, he has half custody when he's in L.A. But, of course, half custody between two cities would be horrific for a child. Well, certainly on, on the different coasts. Exactly. Because him being right. in New York. So, so, and yet he feels he can't do anything but fight for that. Yeah. Right? Because he feels his child will feel abandoned if he finds yeah. out that he didn't fight for him. Yeah. And then, uh, and another side to him is, you know, like I say, you can look at her as, as, a, as a villain, but he... Um, you know what the, the what she brings up about the way she kind of felt during the marriage, um, also kind of rings true, sure to an extent. And and I think I think this is where the complexity comes in. There's that fantastic argument scene where while they're in the midst of these divorce proceedings, she goes out around to his uh, place that he's renting in LA and says, "Can we try and work this something out between?" Oh my God, us? that is such a great scene. I think that's one of the best scenes I've seen all year. It's magnificent. It evolves so beautifully. It reminds me of the scene in Before Midnight, I think, the Linklater film, where it's like a 20-minute argument scene, similar sort of thing here, and it's about how an argument can evolve. It, it ebbs and flows. It starts from the tiniest thing. It can die down and kick up again. It's a brilliantly written scene, both of them. <laughs> and in that scene, um, she talks about... Uh, you know, kind of constantly being in his shadow. That that we always did what you wanted to do. Always stayed in New York. I always wanted to go to LA at some point, or back to LA where I come from, and it never happened. But then, you know, he kind of makes the argument that you rid, you rode my coattails, that you were successful because of me. And it is complex, and there isn't an easy answer to any of it. And you believe both of them, and they yes. both mean what they say, and it all makes sense, and and it's complex. And they're both great. I mean, my God, you know, Adam Driver in that scene. I think, like, there's been so many great performances this year. But that moment where he begins, you know, saying how he hates her <laughs> and yeah. he wishes her dead every year. And actually, that he's so powerful in that, you know. And then later when his lip begins to tremble mm. and he falls on the floor, I mean, it's just magnificent. Yeah. Um, he's, know, he's incredible. I mean, we spoke in the other podcast the other day about the, um, uh, the Amazon film. The, the uh, report. The report that... You know what? What a treat it was to see him play someone normal. Yes, uh, and it's the same thing here. Yes, you know he doesn't have that quirkiness that I think we've come to associate with him here. He's a very believable presence. Yes, and this is a role with depth and range. My God, he even gets to sing, right? Oh, Which yeah. he does well, rather wonderfully, I thought. You know, when he sang, I thought you can see why he's playing a director and not an actor in this. I thought he's all right. Um, <laughs> he's all right. It's true. He's not the greatest of singers. But I thought he's good enough to be in a musical on Broadway, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I did, you know. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, he handled it well and he handled it with panache. I mean, he's singing uh, Being Alive, the Sondheim song, to his friends, you know, in a bar in New York. Uh, and, you know, he had all the gestures. He was both being in character and being show busy. Right, and he was, you know, playing like a normal person singing in a bar. He was, yeah. The performance, you know, you're right, was very uh, good. I meant more the voice. Yeah, well, I thought that was good too. Yeah, you know, uh, though, 
you know, he wasn't a show busy because she also gets a number. Uh, and, you know... She's, but hers is a showbiz piece with her family as well, the mum and the sister. And the sister. And she's just got such star quality. I mean, you know, and she does all the showbiz gestures and the smile and the looks, and you can't help looking at her. She's <laughs> she's fabulous, I think. Uh, though it is really Adam Driver's film. I mean, uh, it's really interesting because the film begins with her reading a list of his qualities, and the film ends with the child having come across this list, trying to read it out loud and getting the father to come and read it for him. You know, and he's got a beautiful moment there of just like he's shaking. That lip quivering again. And that's where, that really moved me. And really yeah. moved me as well. Uh, and then the cut on to her looking on, she's wonderful in it as well. Yeah. Uh, and it's left on such a beautiful moment where he doesn't see her looking yes you know like you, you can imagine that scene developing into something else where there's there's a shared look between them yeah and maybe that would end it but no it's just she it's she gets to see it and he doesn't and they've they've taken different things from this moment it's a beautifully observed film i mean you know the moment where she goes to see him to try to you know to just not patch things up but to resolve the divorce situation i mean that really moved me uh, and then, you know, I kind of, it just had me until the end, really. I mean, I was emotionally, like, um, involved, open, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, like, I, I think, you know, I welled up, really, from that moment on until it ended. Really? <laughs> yes. One thing I would say, though, and this is, this, this uh, it's a weird kind of criticism, maybe. Maybe it's not criticism, but there were, po- there were points where... I found it painful to watch and it's and it's kind of it is kind of the point because when they get into the divorce proceedings and they start fighting um, there are really painful scenes of of your because you are watching these people now at their worst and not only are they at their worst but it feels like they're even that they're, they're not these people really like the, like the people that they sort of become during their arguments are not who they are yes you know like do, do you know what i mean like somehow when you when you get into a fight you will just start acting like someone else whether you mean to or not and and you would never do that normally and they start saying things that they don't necessarily mean maybe well it's just very it's very very difficult to watch some of that but i think that's also, well, the also film, speaks to how well observed those fights well the, are the film conveys that or makes you feel that because they say horrible things in, you know, they have the lawyers on each side, you know, it really takes it into brutal places. Yeah. And then the focus racks. So as if, you know, can it really be you saying this? Yes. And then, it, yeah. So, um, you know, yeah. the focus rack at those moments is, you know, part of drawing attention. Yeah. To who is responsible for what is being said. You know, as well as the effect that it's having on another person, it's really very cleverly done. Yeah, but uh, but really unpleasant. I mean, at points. Uh, yeah, well, uncomfortable. Um, I thought I thought it's, it. I thought it an amiable film, in spite of yes. all of that. Yes. Yeah. Um, with a good sense of humor. With a good sense of humor and kind of I don't know, tender-hearted, really. So, for example, the scene where he's had an affair. Uh, you know, with a member of the company. But then after the divorce, the divorce proceedings have started, uh, she says, well, why don't, you know, I sleep with you tonight? And he says, no, no I just, like, I just can't, right? 
It goes, it's, well, you know, kind of, you did when you were married, and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but actually, the way that he, that he, that he com- communicates why he can't, and the way that she accepts it, yeah, it's kind of, um, I don't know, it feels like respectful, you know? It's respectful of the divorce, respectful of the woman, yeah, kind of. Do you mean respectful, that the character's respectful, or that the film is respectful? The film is respectful. Okay. Uh, That's interesting. And I think the character is... Well, he just the character is not respected in the sense he just he just can't, <laughs> right? Uh, but you know the way that he expresses himself, which I think is you know what the film is conveying, is very respectful. It could have been done, you know, like yeah. fuck off or you know, yeah, like it could have been done in a million ways that was not respectful. Yeah, I think the film is. I wonder whether it um, presents as much of an indictment of uh, of kind of divorce, the divorce industry, if you like, as it might seem, because I think there are certain criticisms that it seems to make of, of I mean, first thing, you, you get these big shot lawyers who, first thing that comes up is, um, how much are going to get paid? $10,000 retainer, $950 an hour, whatever it might be, you know, these huge, vast sums of money, you think, okay, he's got he's got this MacArthur Genius Grant, but Jesus, how can anyone afford this? You know, how, yeah. is, how is this... Um, I mean, never mind how is this moral, how is this practical, how do people afford this? Yes. Um, and the lawyers turn it into, very much into a fight. Um, well, well, the big shot lawyers do. You get this smaller lawyer, played by Alan Alder, who um, is really knows he can't win anything, and the only reason that he's gone to him is because he's been blocked from seeing all these other better lawyers. Alan Alder was my one miscasting, yeah. I thought. And it has nothing to do with him. You know, because I think he's very good. And this, you know, might be a terrible thing to say, but it's true. It affected me as a viewer, which is he's got some kind of palsy or something. Or, you know, his arm kept shaking. Yeah, no, he had like a restless leg syndrome in his hands because he's old and stuff. And I, I mean, it seems to be an acting decision. I don't know if that was... Oh, I didn't think it was. I know, I thought, to me, that was saying that like the, the, this character is so unsuited for this at this point in his life I didn't think that at all I thought you know because his head and his voice were completely steady and his arm was actually trying to be hid under the table except it only covered so much so if it was an acting decision he wouldn't have covered it no I don't, I'm not sure that's true I mean I think that's kind of that's if anything if he if he were actually well I don't know so maybe he is but if he were actually in kind of early stages of something like Parkinson's, you would expect to hear that in his voice as well. Um, that's well, why, I mean, I thought but, it was... Well, so he doesn't have Parkinson's, but I think there's, you know, he's got some kind... I think I thought it was a problem, you know. So, okay, so if it's an acting decision, bad acting decision. If it wasn't an acting decision, bad casting, because <laughs> I found it really distracting. Okay, I, I didn't find it distracting. I, I, I think it was there to be noticed, you know, and it is to point out that this guy... Is is not in good shape to be practicing law, and he's really not the guy. You know, he's he cannot possibly stand up to Laura Dern. You know, that's kind of. I mean, I mean, look also what he's wearing. You know, he wears his brown suit. He doesn't fit in. He's a kind of. He's like a mom and pop lawyer. Yeah. You know. Well, except you're told that, you know, he was the the hotshot corporate lawyer. Was. Well. I mean, that's the, that's it. That's why he's ended up there. You look at his office. Stuff straight about. He's got a cat. Yeah. You know, it's not. It's not the same. Like as Laura Dern with her several spare offices that she can send them into. Well, that's true. Um, yeah. But I didn't, take, I didn't take that as, as 
as a comment on his ability. I took that as a comment on a choice because you also feel, I mean, he must be 80 or something. So, you know, he's kind of moved into family law for fun. You don't, you don't get the sense that, that it's a necessity for him. No, but, but I, I, mean, I still think, I still think the point comes across that, that he is far from the best lawyer you could choose, you know. You'd look at the status of his office, the status of what he wears, his age, his physical uh, sort of well, that's, state. That's true. Um, I think um, that's kind of what's going on there. I mean, also the fact that he says things that Adam Driver kind of has to correct him at points almost. Yes. You know, it's like that, that doesn't happen with the other lawyers. Yes. They're on top of it. So he's old and, you know, Alzheimer-y, uh, or his memory's not as good as it was. Uh, but the, the, the arm thing was super distracting because it was only one arm. I, I, I did actually think that it was an illness or something under, for the, of the actor, not Well, I'm not sure if... Do you mean when it was under the desk? Because to me, that's actually his leg. You know, it's like, like when, you have, when you have restless leg syndrome and your leg's doing that, that's to me is what that was doing. And then well, he had his arm on the desk, which was, you know, what kind of shaking. Okay. So I, it was simply all over his body. I didn't notice it. I just noticed one arm. Yeah, fair enough. You know, uh, his leg had it going quite a lot. And He's got Parkinson's disease. Oh, really? He does it? So it's not an acting choice. Okay, well, well, it, um, may, it may have been a casting choice that I, that I appreciated either way. Um, okay. but, but I think that, uh, uh, what, I was, what I was sort of trying to get to with the lawyers was um, you can see sort of why lawyers have to exist in a way, not just because divorce is a legal proceeding, but also that this is something that can't be worked out between people. Because when they do try and work it out themselves, as we mentioned in that argument scene, it gets out of hand. They can't speak to each other, you know? Mm. And, and of co- but of course, when the lawyers get involved, it's a fight to them. Mm. Um, so the thing is, they can't, they can't work it out between them. The lawyers aren't there to work it out, they're there to fight for a win. Everything in my head kept coming back to, oh, if that scene at the start where she had this long list of what she likes about him because she's been told by this therapist, this this, uh, marriage counsellor, to do this, and then she refuses to read it out. So we've heard all this, and then she says, no, I'm not going to tell Adam Driver. Mm. And I just kept coming back to, if only she had read that out, and they'd been as forthcoming and as kind of, uh, honest and whatever in the in that meeting at the start you know how different their lives could be because ultimately that's what it comes back to at the end after all of this is worked out it comes back to that note and mm. that's and those feelings mm. and that kind of outpouring of emotion mm. you know I just thought god it's actually really it's an advert for therapy this film ah <laughs> um, I thought there was one moment that was overly symbolic I mean, it worked on me, but I thought it could have been better. And that's the moment when they're, you know, he brings a child over and they close the door. Uh, remind me. Oh, oh, right at the end when all yeah. the doors upstairs close yeah. and she's got the new boyfriend and stuff. Yeah. When it's all been worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but there were very beautiful moments, actually. And so there were moments of tenderness. So even after the divorce, you know, she orders from the menu for him because he can't make up his mind and you know she ties his shoelace at a certain point and you know even at the worst moment of the divorce she cuts his hair right they're all kind of moments of feeling and tenderness yeah yeah um so i think this is kind of you know what makes this film so unusual yeah that it, it's so well-rounded and it has depth and it kind of dramatizes complex complexity yeah 
complex emotions, how, you know, people can be in love and hate each other and, you know, and kind of, um, you know, two basically good people kind of uh, who love each other, doing terrible things to each other, you know, in, in a process of separation. I loved it very much. Mm. Whoever chose Laura Dern's wardrobe was a genius, <laughs> right? Because the wardrobe speaks to character. These tight-fitting suits of a, you know, a gym-toned woman, you know, who's obviously kind of, who, who, you know, is an Amazon, who's using her body and her sexuality and her hair and everything she can bring to the table to win her case, right? She's a cutthroat, <clears throat> chic, yeah. you know, accessorized, like, completely... The outfits are wonderful, really. Uh, and know. she's a performer, as in the character is a performer. Yeah. You know, and like, and, and an amazing advocate. I mean, you want her on your side. You know, yeah. So when, when she first meets uh, Nicole, and she's kind of inviting Nicole to tell her her story. And, and I think what Nicole looks like at that point is really interesting as well, because have you ever seen Scarlett Johansson look more plain? Yes. You know, like, like kind of no makeup, or at least mm. the kind of makeup that makes it look like you have no makeup. A kind of a really blank dour grey shirt that kind of mm. hangs off her like it's not it's not it's not the way you ever see Scarlett Johansson yeah. dressed and made up you know it's not her showing off or anything mm. um, and you, and then on the other hand you've got Laura Dern with these incredible bright red stilet uh, stilettos yeah. and she gets on the couch with her and like uh, scooches up on it kneels on it like yes. like best mates do and takes her, uh, takes her shoes off and there is a close up on that there's close up on the shoes like the camera wants you to know yes. that not only does she have these amazing shoes but that she's taking them off because she's playing the best friend role now yeah. and she yeah. wants you on her side she's a Rottweiler and then later uh, on she has that fantastic scene which is just a scene from out of nowhere where she uh, talks about God God and Mary and how you have to be perfect he's allowed to be a shit dad and not show up because that's yes. what God did but Mary was there and she's a virgin who gave birth No one, nothing is more perfect yeah well, the reason why the film resonates so is because you have a character like that who's basically unlikable, but actually who says things that, you know, the whole audience recognizes as truths, really. <laughs> yes. So, so kind of, you know, she's, she's rational and logic and, you know, she tells you, the, you know, the way that society will play this out, which, you know, also kind of gives an impetus to her actions and, and actually to Scarlett Johansson's actions really that whole thing of you know how often do you drink and have you done drugs and you know she says you cannot say any of that which is the precursor to that speech that you're talking about yeah. you know it, it really makes you understand it and the film makes you understand it as well you know kind of you have people in the hallways who are getting into arguments with each other uh, um, you know so um, anyway I, th I think all of that speaks to a cynicism in society that the film is is acutely aware of and critical of, you know. I think the cynicism is partly in in the kind of the amount of money that the, that the lawyers take and represent and 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 ask for and that sort of thing, um, but also, but also in you know kind of society's expectation of things. But it, but then it is also, as I say, acutely aware that this is saying that you need you need someone to work out for you because people can't work this out between them. That's that's not how it works. Yeah, you know. Which well, is why it all comes back to that therapist thing, to me. Um, anyway, I want to think more about like shots and angles. The New York scenes when they're putting out the play look rather fab, you know, um, when they're lifting her up and you see her projected on screens. And, yeah. You know, I thought that was kind of very well done. Um, 
the rack of focus was really well done um you know the the adam driver uh you know the moment where he explodes that's like an aria really i think it's a handheld camera but i'm not sure uh i didn't notice any cuts in that um so kind of you know these are things to observe again once it look once it plays on netflix there, there are definitely these these uh, sort of um invisible long takes that you don't really notice are happening until they're mm. until they're sort of you know, five minutes in yeah uh scarlett johansson meeting laura Dern for the first time has one of those when she's telling the background of mm. her relationship that that mostly happens in a long take mm. um i think like there's a cutaway to laura Dern in the middle of it but apart from that uninterrupted and and also i think in the orchestration of that scene where she gets her sister to serve the papers to Adam Driver. Yeah. That's such a long scene. Like, I think, you know, if you think about how a different film would have handled it, there would have been the thing about telling the, telling the family this is what's going to happen, and then Adam Driver arriving, and then uh, he gets served the papers. And this would all be, they would all feel much more separate. But this happens here in one very long scene that evolves beautifully mm. over time and changes. And, like, before you know it, you sort of, you've been in this scene for sort of eight or nine minutes... And it's still the same, you know, real time conversation that's been happening since the start. But it's but the the goals and the ideas and things have changed mm. throughout. I think it's great. Yes, I think so too. And Scarlett Johansson has two moments. One where he's looking at him blowing up, and the other one where she's looking at him reading the letter that she's written about his good points where she's just absolutely transparent, yeah? It's kind of, it's very interesting to see her face. So, you know, she's kind of welling up, not quite crying in, in those two moments, but just kind of, you know, transparent, really. It's very beautiful what she does in that. Because um, she's close, she's quite closed in through much of the beginning. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, anyway, that's it. Yeah, it's an it's a, it's an interesting nuance, I suppose, to the story because she's the one who initiates the divorce, and so she, in some sense, has a I don't know more of a strategy, maybe. But he is kind of reacting to everything. He he doesn't he doesn't ha he doesn't have the you know kind of the initiative at any point. He doesn't take the first step. His is a very reactive sort of part in in the divorce. Yes, um, but you get the feeling that he wants it all to go away and to be resolved. I mean. You know, uh, she's the one who walks out of the therapy session. He's quite happy to read what he, th you know, what her good qualities are. And she walks out of that. So, you know, she, she forbids him to say them. So, yeah. Anyway. I think it's very good. Um, um, a really, really well-observed, well-written drama with loads of, I mean, just loads of brilliant scenes. It just yes. starts with this, like one scene from beginning to end. Every scene has a brilliant shape and style and idea in it. Mm. I think it's great. Good. All right. And maybe I should watch more of Noah Baumbach's films. <laughs> yes, you should. But, you know, he seems, he seems like a bit of an indie wanker, to be honest. I think part of the problem, or part of the reason why I've just been resistant to him, though I liked all his films that I've seen. I liked The Squid and the Whale, you know, and I liked Francis Ha. But... I I wasn't buying into the hype. Like, you know, some people were saying, oh, Francis Ha is the best film of the year, and so on. And I kind of, I just found it a bit too artificial, a bit too neat, a bit too also privileged, really. Yeah. Um, so, 
Which is interesting because that didn't strike me at all this time around. Though, of course, in a way, they are, I suppose. You know. Um, but anyway, I think this is his best. Or the one I like most. Um, I'll have to look at it again to see whether it is his best. Um, but yes, I recommend I recommend everyone see it. It'll be on Netflix soon. Yeah, I think, I think December comes out on Netflix. It's December now. Fucking it's, hell. It's probably on Netflix as we speak. Well, well, <laughs> it will be by the time this comes out because uh, I've got so many of these to edit and my computer is still getting repaired. So. Right. Uh, all right, well, let's end it here. Yeah. Um, thank you all very much for listening. We're eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, uh, Facebook and Twitter is the social media and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs>